Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Okay, get back into Dracula, but first, our reading wine, since that's a thing. Mm. Yeah. I just took a week off from work and uh, played video games, frankly. And, well, it's been a wild couple of days in the old day job. And so I needed that. Now, let's talk to a different dude who's had a wild couple of days in the old day job. Namely... This guy who's the zookeeper, I don't remember this at all, and I have read the book like 14 times, so you can tell what kind of impression this has made on me, um, and yet I really like this part of it, and it's going to be really annoying to read because it is thick with dialect, but let's make it happen anyway. <clears throat> Exactly. I want you to give me your view of it. Just tell me how it happened, and when I know the facts, I'll get you to say what you consider was the cause of it, and how you think the whole affair will end. All right, Governor. This year is about the old story. That air wolf, what we call Berserker, was one of three gray ones that came from Norway to Jamraks, which we bought off him four years ago. He was a nice, well-behaved wolf. Okay. That never gave no trouble to talk of. I'm more surprised at him for wanting to get out, nor any other animile in the place. But there, you can't trust wolves no more, nor women. He is a winner. Uh, anyway, sorry. There's going to be a lot of editorial comment in this. Don't you mind him, sir, broke in Mrs. Tom with a cheery laugh. He's got minding the animile so long that blessed if he ain't like a old wolf hisself. But there ain't no arm in him. Well, sir, it was about two hours after feeding yesterday when I first hear my disturbance. I was making up a litter in the monkey house for a young puma, which is ill. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. But when I heard the yelping and owling, I came away straight. There was Berserker, a tearing like a mad thing at the bars as if he wanted to get out. There wasn't much people about that day, and close at hand was only one man, a tall, thin chap with a hooked nose and a pointed beard with a few white hairs running through it. He had a hard, cold look and red eyes, and I took a sort of mislike to him, for it seemed as if it was as M as they were irritated at. He had white kid gloves on his hands, and as he pointed and he pointed out the animals to me and says, Keeper, 
these wolves seem upset at something. Maybe it's you, says I, for I did not like the airs as he gave himself. He didn't get angry as I hoped he would, but he smiled a kind of insolent smile and with a mouth full of white sharp teeth. Oh no, they wouldn't like me, he says. Oh yes they would, says I, imitating of him. They always likes a bone or two to clean their teeth on about tea time, which you as a bag full. Well, it was an odd thing, but when the animiles sees us a-talkin', they lay down, and when we went over to Bersicker, he let me stroke his ears same as ever. That there man came over and blessed, but if he didn't put in his hand and stroke the old wolf's ears too. Tight care, says I. Bersicker is quick. Never mind, he says. I'm used to him. Are you in the business yourself, I says, tyking off my hat, for a man what trades in wolves, and cetera, is a good friend to keepers. No, says he, not exactly in the business, but I have made pets of several. And with that he lifts his hat as perlite as a lord and walks away. Old Bersicker kept a lookin' arter him till he was out of sight, and then went and lay down in a corner and wouldn't come back come out the whole evening. Well last night, so soon as the moon was up, the wolves here all began a owlin. There weren't nothing for him to owl at. There weren't no one near except someone that was evidently a callin' a dog somewheres out back of the gardings in the park road. Once or twice I went out to see that all was right, and it was. And then the owlin stopped. Just before twelve o'clock I just took a look round afore turnin' in, and bust me but when I came opposite to old Bersicker's cage, I see the rails broken and twisted about and the cage empty. And that's all I know for certain. Did anyone else see anything? One of our gardeners was a coming home about that time from Armony, when he sees a big gray dog coming out through the garden's edges. At least so he says, but I don't give much for it myself, for if he did, he never said a word about it to his missus when he got home, and it was only after the escape of the wolf was made known, and we had been up all night a-hunting of the park for Bersicker, that he remembered seeing anything. My own belief was that the harmony had got into his head. Now, Mr. Builder, can you account in any way for the escape of the wolf? Well, sir, he said with a suspicious sort of modesty, I think I can, but I don't know as how you'd be satisfied with the theory. Certainly I shall, if a man like you, who knows the animals from experience, can't hazard a good guess at any rate, who is even to try. Well then, sir, I counts for it this way. It seems to me that that air wolf escaped simply because he wanted to get out. From the hearty way that both Thomas and his wife laughed at the joke, I could see that it had done service before, and that the whole explanation was simply an elaborate sell. I couldn't cope in, bad in badinage with the worthy Thomas, but I thought I knew a surer way to his heart, so I said... Now, Mr. Builder, we'll consider that first half-sovereign worked off, and this brother of his is waiting to be claimed when you've told me what you think will happen. Right you are, sir, he said briskly. You'll excuse me, I know, for a chaffin' of ye, but the old woman here winked at me, which was as much as telling me to go on. Well, I never, said the old lady. My opinion is this, that air wolf is a off somewheres, the gardener what didn't remember said he was a gallopin' northward faster than a horse could go, but I don't believe him, for you see, sir, wolves don't gallop no more than dogs does. They not bein' built that way. Wolves is fine things in a storybook, 
And I dare say when they gets in packs and does be chivying or something that's more afeard than they is, they can make a devil of a noise and chop it up, whatever it is. But Lord bless you, in real life, Wolf is only a low creature, not half so clever as, or bold as a good dog, and not half a quarter so much fight in him. This one ain't been used to fighting or even to providing for hisself, and more like he's somewhere around in the park hiding and a shivering of, and if he thinks at all, wondering where he is to get his breakfast from. Or maybe he's got down some area and isn't a coal cellar. My eye wants some cook get a rum start when she sees his green eyes a shining at her out of the dark. If he can't get food, he's bound to look for it, and mayhap he may chance to light on a butcher's shop in time. If he doesn't, and some nursemaid goes a-walkin' orf with a soldier, leaving of the infant and the perambulator, well, then I shouldn't be surprised if the census is one babby the less. That's all. I was handing him the half-sovereign when something came bobbing up against the window, and Mr. Builder's face doubled its natural length with surprise. "'God bless me,' he said, "'if there ain't old Bersicker come back by hisself.' He went to the door and opened it, a most unnecessary proceeding, it seemed to me. I've always thought that a wild animal never looks so well as when some obstacle of pronounced durability is between us. A personal experience has intensified rather than diminished that idea. After all, however, there is nothing like custom, for neither Builder nor his wife thought any more of the wolf than I should of a dog. The animal itself was as peaceful and well-behaved as that father of all picture wolves, Red Riding Hood's quondam friend, whilst moving her confidence in masquerade. The whole scene was an unutterable mixture of comedy and pathos. The wicked wolf that for half a day had paralyzed London and set all the children in the town shivering in their shoes was there in a sort of penitent mood, and was received and petted like a sort of vulpine prodigal son. Old Builder examined him all over with most tender solicitude, and when he had finished with his penitence, said, "'There, I knew the poor old chap would get into some kind of trouble. Didn't I say it all along? Here's his head, all cut and full of broken glass. He's been a-getting over some bloomin' wall or other. It's a shame the people are allowed to top their walls with broken bottles. This here's what comes of it. Come along, Bersicker.' He took the wolf and locked him up in a cage with a piece of meat that satisfied— in quantity, at any rate, the elementary conditions of the fatted calf, and went off to report. I came off, too, to report the only exclusive information that is given today regarding the strange escapade at the zoo. Dr. Seward's Diary, 17 September I was engaged after dinner in my study posting up my books, which, through press of other work and with the many visits to Lucy, had fallen sadly into arrear. Suddenly the door was burst open and in rushed my patient, with his face distorted with passion. I was thunderstruck, for such a thing as a patient getting of his own accord into the superintendent's study is almost unknown. Without an instant's pause, he made straight at me. He had a dinner knife in his hand, and as I saw he was dangerous, I tried to keep the table between us. He was too quick and too strong for me, however, for before I could get my balance, he had struck at me and cut my left wrist rather severely. Before he could strike again, however, I got in my right, and he was sprawling on his back on the floor. My wrist bled freely, and quite a little pool trickled onto the carpet. I saw that my friend was not intent on further effort, and occupied myself binding up my wrist, keeping a wary eye on the prostrate figure all the time. When the attendants rushed in and we turned our attention to him, his employment positively sickened me. He was lying on his belly on the floor, looking up like a dog, the blood which had fallen from my wounded wrist. 
He was easily secured, and to my surprise went with the attendants quite placidly, simply repeating over and over again, The blood is the life. The blood is the life. I cannot afford to lose blood just at present. I've lost too much of late for my physical good, and then the prolonged strain of Lucy's illness and its horrible phases is telling on me. I am overexcited and weary, and I need rest, rest, rest. Happily, Van Helsing has not summoned me, so I need not forego my sleep. Tonight, I could not well do without it. Telegram, Van Helsing, Antwerp, to Seward, Carfax. Sent to Carfax, Sussex, is no county given. Delivered late by 22 hours. 17 September. Do not fail to be at Hillingham tonight. If not watching all the time, frequently visit and see that flowers are as placed. Very important. Do not fail. Shall be with you as soon as possible after arrival. Dr. Seward's Diary. 18 September. Just off for train to London, the arrival of Van Helsing's telegram filled me with dismay. A whole night lost, and I know by bitter experience what may happen in a night. Of course, it is possible that all may be well, but what may have happened? Surely there is some horrible doom hanging over us that every possible accident should thwart us in all we try to do. I shall take this cylinder with me, and then I can complete my entry on Lucy's phonograph. And that seems like a good place to stop. I'm sure Lucy's fine. And we'll come back to it tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org. Thank you.